from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you through the magic of technology at the KWKY Mercy One Iowa Catholic Radio Studio. It's a wonderful Wednesday that we're getting to join you and do all this. I'm Bo Bonner over at Des Moines, where I am the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Zeta Institute. You can check us out at mchs.edu. Bud, what are you doing out in Pittsburgh, land of French fries? (laughs) I'm the Director of the National Institute of Newman Studies here in Pittsburgh. You can find out about our work at newmanstudies.org. But, uh, you know, with, with all these uh, times and, and people going online and Zoom meetings and things like this, uh, I, I'm, I know people are starting to be able to get out. It's summer and you know, directives from uh, the, the authorities about, you know, being outside is good and proper and, uh, you know, much less likely to run any sort of risk and things like this. So I'm hoping people have got to go out and enjoy being outside. I, I finally got a chance to go down and be in Oklahoma and uh, get to uh, see family for once uh, in the first time, like six months. It's always weird to have uh, an infant who's not seen other human beings than yourself. Uh, uh, it's, it's always fun, stranger danger times, but uh, it was nice to be able to enjoy uh, summer getting started, even though I know officially the first day of summer is later. How's it out there in Pittsburgh uh, with the weather and everything like that? Yeah, it's still, uh, I'll I'll just speak from my own perspective that, you know, I'm kind of getting my bearings about um, anytime I I go about any sort of activity in the back of my mind, I'm kind of calculating risk. But we we have uh, opened the floodgates a bit just in the sense of, you know, letting the kids be outdoors as as much as they'd like and uh, even hitting the local swimming pool with uh, necessary precautions. But so, so that's been, that's been good. I think when when things first started happening, though, you know, part of the hard part of it was just being indoors so much. Yeah, uh, I first of all, I have to say, when you said open the floodgates, I never know with Pittsburgh how they do stuff. So it's like, are there literal floodgates for all three of the rivers and you guys open them? And then I didn't know if like maybe that was the name of a sandwich in Pittsburgh or something. There's all these unique names out there. So I was like, like the floodgates, you know, you can't have one until June or something like that. Then I realized you were just being metaphoric. And yes, you're right. The open the floodgates and let people outside. Uh, uh, my wife was telling me that she was listing off how long it's been since she's actually been in a building with other people. And uh, yeah. for my wife, uh, this has been a very glorious six months because <laughs> she's not an outdoorsy <laughs> person. Um but, uh, you know, th- this starts to cascade out. You start to see uh, all-, all sorts of, you know, ways of people sort of getting out and hopefully returning a little bit back to normal. Uh, so, as always, we're written by Mercy College of Health Sciences. You can go check that out at mchs.edu. Glad to report that uh, we had a summer enrollment that's actually eclipsed last fall. We had uh, some of the wow. most students we've ever had uh, be a part of Mercy, and I think Again, Bud, that's uh, people answering the call about seeing um, in our world, in our nation, uh, you know, answering the call that COVID has brought to mind about helping people and being the front line of caring and healing for people. 
And so uh, Mercy College, mchs.edu, but, you know, you're teaching a servant leadership class again. Uh, We're doing stuff over at the mission office. Uh, It's really a place we hope that you guys go check out uh, Mercy College, mchs.edu. Well, yeah, I did an orientation with a group of students via Zoom last week and always impressed to see the quality and outlook of the students there at Mercy. Real quick, you were joking about floodgates in Pittsburgh. (laughs) Nebraska, my favorite, you know, growing up in Nebraska, Husker football fan, they played out here like in 2003 or four or something like that. And it's, I think it's the one time the Huskers have traveled to Pittsburgh and played. I'd have to go through the, the record books. But um, funny enough, there was terrible flooding in Pittsburgh that day. And the team made it to the stadium, but the roads around the stadium were pretty much cut off. So it was, it was kind of crazy because the teams were playing, but there's really no one in the stands. And maybe it was a harbinger of what football might look like this fall. I don't know. Right. right. I was going to say, so it was, it was a preview of 2020. So I guess everyone wants to know who won that game then. Uh, we won, but it was close. You know, Bill Callahan was at the helm, and he made it, you know, as dramatic as it could be. I think we blocked a kick late. But they did have, if I'm remembering this correctly, they had Larry Fitzgerald, and he went for like 240 yards against us. Yeah, well, uh, the, the, I'm sure that shows people don't worry, everyone. Football can still be very exciting, even if uh, the stadium situation <laughs> is different than what we're thinking of. Well, today on the show, we're going to have um, a, a mutual friend uh, from both Bud and I. Uh, I we, we got to see him at Newman conferences, but I think you know him from other uh, times you've got to meet him as well. I think there was uh, jokes being told about uh, baseball games and heckling and stuff like this. So, you know, you guys even have inside jokes. But uh, we have our good friend, uh, Ono A.K. on. He is an assistant associate professor, excuse me, and co-leader of the honors program um, at uh, Sacred Heart University University. Uh, and uh, joined that faculty in 2011 after being uh, getting his PhD from Catholic University. Uh, he's going to join us on today. Um, obviously, folks, if we look at uh, the world, uh, and, and especially in America, and what's going on, um, you know, we had COVID, and then we've had people reckon, uh, reconciling, dealing with, imagining what it means to face uh, the racial disparities uh, that afflict the United States in so many ways. And, of course, this coalesced around um, the the death of George Floyd, uh, the relationship of the African-American community and other peoples of color uh, when it comes to uh, police work, all these questions that nearly everyone, I mean, I know the Des Moines community has uh, wrestled with this with protests and all these uh, social, uh, coming to the social forefront. And it would be uh, negligent, in fact, if we as show talking about the common good didn't bring to the forefront the question of, what does racial justice mean in the context of Catholic social teaching on the common good? And we're very, very much looking forward to speaking with our friend um, Ono about this. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do after we get back from the break. Stick around. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. <laughs> Folks, if you have any questions for us or if you have any comments, it's easy to leave them. Just use the zip with line. 515-223-1150. That's 515-223-1150. This is with line. Hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. Uh, you can leave a message. You can let us know if you have any questions. Um, even if it's not live and on air, uh, people back at the studio will relay to us and we'll try to answer them um, as soon as we are able to hear from it. The zip with line. 
This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after these messages. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. There are millions of children that go hungry every day. Thank you to Skeffington's Formalware for supporting Mary's Meals. Their vision is that every child in the world should be able to receive at least one good meal every day in a place of education. Mary'sMealsUSA.org Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com Thank you, Dental Associates, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. 515-225-6742. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Hi, this is Jean Wells from Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. Join me on Tuesday mornings at 10 for topics that give us angst and bring the concern to the forefront. If you have questions, I'll find the answers. Straight Talk on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Budmar joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for coming on to the show. We're glad to have you. As I pointed out at the top of the show, our guest is Ono Eke, Dr. Ono Eke. He's an associate professor and co-leader of the Honors LLC at Sacred Heart University. Uh, he joined that faculty in 2011. He went to Catholic University of America. Um, he does all sorts of stuff at Sacred Heart University, ethics bull debate team coach, which I think is pretty awesome. Uh, published, of course, in theology. He's also written um, science fiction as well. Um, we both know him, Bud and I, I would say mostly through connections with John Henry Newman and uh, such conferences as that. Uh, Ono, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I was just thinking about this just to show you how weird the world has been. Uh, The last time I saw you was uh, getting close to a year ago and we were eating uh, mufalettas at the Central Market down in New Orleans. So that's that's a lot of weird stuff to throw in, for instance, like travel. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) Uh, the, the world, uh, in, of course, in obvious ways, uh, people looking at the news have, have changed drastically. And, you know, to, to jump into today's topic, oh no, I think that that might be an interesting way to talk about this when it comes to t- speaking about racial justice and its understanding in Catholic social teaching, especially in light of the common good. There's a temptation to look at the conversation that's happening now and look at what's happening on TV and go, wow, things have really changed but um, in discussing with you before what we were going to talk about on the show, um, I, I would have to say that maybe the stinging thing that perhaps uh, white Catholics 
need to hear most is as much as we can look at the news and go, wow, things are radically changing, that from a different perspective, things haven't changed that much at all. And the questions about why is it that this seems new to some folks when for other people, this has been uh, a conversation that's had to be going on, uh, not only for a long time, but in their entire lives. Maybe that's a place to start there. When we talk about racial justice and the imperative nature of speaking about it in terms of the common good, um, what, what's maybe the, 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 the disconnect some people might be feeling now uh, when they look at the news? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know. I, I tend to think it all begins with some sort of self-introspection, you know, understanding or maybe having intellectual humility or just humility in general and knowing that you don't know everything, you haven't seen everything, and there's a lot about the world you're not seeing, right? So there are times we think everything's fine, and we don't take the time to think of what life may be like from people who are in different demographic groups or in different situations. And so just no, no sense that things may not be right from another perspective. So I, I tend to think in terms of, you know, we talked about something like you know, Matthew 25, the gospel of Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus gives a parable of separating the sheep from the goat. And, there was that interesting uh, part of that parable where Jesus separates the sheep from the goat and the people who are, who are the goats, so to speak, were really surprised because they thought they were doing just fine. And the people who were the sheep were also very surprised. And Jesus said, well, when I was hungry, you, you didn't give me anything to eat. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. And they asked, well, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? When were you in prison? And Jesus says, in so far as you didn't do it to the least of my brethren, you didn't do it to me. And so that just shows us something that very often we don't get to see what's happening. And sometimes we need to take a step back and just take a look and make sure we're seeing the world the way it is. Right. And that, that's what, I think that's what's come to the forefront that, um, there are different communities here, you know, in our country and people, you know, they've been separated. And even though we exist in the same space, they're very different experiences that people are having. Yeah. Oh, no. As you talk about that, my thoughts go back to um, there. there's an author, David Foster Wallace. And in one of his speeches, he tells this joke about two young fish swimming and uh, they come across an older fish. And he says, how's the water, boys? And they're kind of confused as they swim on the one fish turns the other and says like, what the heck's water. Right. And the idea is like <laughs> uh, the, the world we grow up and we sort of take it for granted as just how things are. Um, and so for myself, I'll be honest, this has been like over the years, it, it's a challenging discussion. And I found like, even in the classroom, um, as we've talked about um, civil rights in the United States or whatnot, that, it does tend to make some un uncomfortable. And I don't know if you have experienced that as well, or if you could speak to your own experience. What I have in mind, Ono, is like um, sometimes talking to friends or, or relatives, even like uh, race issues will come up. And I'll sometimes hear like, why focus on races? Isn't this sort of like a sin problem? You know, like the problem is original sin and this evil that runs through all of our hearts. 
But it feels to me like we don't do that with any other moral issue. Like if you talk about what the church teaches regarding chastity or, or greed or whatnot, you know, there's not this like attempt to punt and say like, well, can't we just talk about like this, the sin problem? We like, it's, it's, it's necessary that we have to tackle things head on. And so unfortunately in our country right now, um, you know, things have really come to a head because of some, you know, recent events, but like how teaching in the classroom or having these conversations at church and things like what's been your experience with the way that it lands with students and, and how you, how you sort of tackle some of those things sometimes. So, yeah, my experience is I'll, I'll start with students. Um, one way I've approached it is I've had my students read Frederick Douglass's biography and what he does is very interesting. It's very interesting. For one, he doesn't demonize anyone. So I think people feel a lot more comfortable with that. So they don't feel like this is, you know, a black person accusing white people of being inherently evil. And he articulates his perspective. And one interesting thing is that he treats slavery as an abuse of power. And slavery or racism was for him a species of that. It's sort of an interesting take, but he shows, he argues that racism is not in the heart of anyone. So he gives the example of a woman he stayed with. So he was moved from his plantation home in East, in, on the Eastern shore of Maryland to Baltimore to take care of, to be a companion for a young white boy. And he remembers when the door opened and he was standing there, there were these white faces smiling, smiling at him. And he was terrified because he had never had a white person smile at him. And they welcomed him and he just never seen that. He didn't know white people could be kind to black people. And he had this sense of, he, he learned that, especially with the, the mom, that she just was not used to slavery and she saw him as a human being. But then the problem became once the relationship of slavery entered into the equation, everything turned sour and it poisoned her. And so um, I, I tend to use that story or the, the, the narrative of Frederick Douglass, the autobiography, to approach the issue of, of things like slavery, racism. And I find students are very open to it because I think when the discussion happens in a way where, um, especially when white people feel safe, don't feel like, you know, this black person is really angry at me and thinks I'm evil, it might work a little better. But then, of course, there are times where I think black people just want to be angry and it's not that you, you want to think of anyone as inherently evil. You just want to express this sort of rage or anger that's within that's been building up. And in general, I think what white people need to do is just understand that, just be comfortable with that. Understand that this is an expression of natural expression of the frustration that's been building up. And, you know, we can see, at the end of the day, we all sort of need to work together to solve the problem. I don't think black people want, you know, white people not involved and that's never been the case. So um, I, I think it's what, what I found is uh, people are open. I think if we can have discussion in a way where people feel safe, but we can speak real truths, I think we we'll, we can get move things forward. Well, oh no, um, so I'm glad you brought up Frederick Douglass because on one hand, so I have taught a variety of like great books courses and the idea of like, here's the, you know, standards of all time that everybody should read. 
And people will ask me, okay, so what do you think is like a sort of definitive work uh, from the United States that you would say is a great work? And to me, uh, I, I would uh, go to the mat saying that What to the Slave is Fourth of July by Frederick Douglass is yeah. maybe yeah. the best one ever written precisely because it gets to what you're pointing at. Frederick Douglass doesn't have to sort of um, create a, a sort of a, a network or a moral universe in which to point out the, the, the sheer uh, disgust and uh, depravity of the institution of slavery. He points to Christian and moral principles from the United States and asks, if you say this about yourself, why wouldn't you behave different? Yes. And I, I think that that is the basis that when we start talking about racial justice and like Bud said, not deferring away and going, isn't this a sin issue that we start to say, if we're Americans and we love America to love something is to be honest about loving all of it. And that means being face to face about the difficulties that not only slavery itself presented, but Jim Crow. And of course, also the ramifications of all of these, you read Frederick Douglass and what you read is a Christian man asking fellow Christians if we believe these things, how can we live this way? And uh, it's, a, it, it's, it's a fabulously stunning work uh, on rhetoric alone. One of the best sort of long speeches I could ever imagine someone being able to hear uh, in person. But I think that that's exactly where the principle starts to be asked. We don't have to manufacture uh, you know, a, a sort of alternative path to talk about these things, folks. The church, it's right there, the story of Christ. Like you said, Matthew 25 is asking us to not be surprised when Jesus is in our midst. And I think Frederick Douglass's uh, work, uh, What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, is one of the best instances of, of this. Absolutely. That, that, yes. And I think that's absolutely one of the best works out there. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Frederick Douglass. I think pedagogically he's great is a great tool to use on issues of uh, racial uh, inequities racial injustices um he has this great scene where um the plantation he grew up on was being so this is his autobiography was so all, everything was being uh, sold or given off and he says he talks about how everyone's lined up and he talks about the men the women the children and then he continues the horses the oxen the pigs the sheep so everyone in one so on the same ontological level, say, right? So considered all the same in the eyes of the slave. And he, you know, he made a point that you've made to me, which is that slavery and racial injustice poisons, harms not just the people, the victims of that, but it also poisons the soul of mm -hmm. the people who perpetuate this sort of thing. Because to see another human being as less than human is harmful. Right. And so that's the point that he makes is that it is poisoning if you can't see a difference between a horse and a human being. Right. And so I think uh, I like Frederick Douglass as, as sort of a model, a way to create dialogue. Uh, and, and one thing about Frederick Douglass, too, I, I, I like to use with my students is there's an arc in his story where he talks about how um, a slave, how a man became a slave. So he talks about how he grew up. As a young child, as a slave, he had no idea he was a slave. And so he just was a kid. He played and life was just what it was. And at some point he, come, he came to realize that he was a slave. And that process was as he grew up and realized what was going on. And then things changed for him at some point where he says, 
a slave became a man, he eventually had to get into a very risky fight, physical fight with his master, which could have resulted in him, in him being killed, but um, it, it didn't happen. And so one thing I've always thought was interesting was that he added the, he had the element of education, of dialogue, but he also had the element of sometimes you have to do, you know, things like you see now where you have the protests. Now, of course, not the rioting or the looting, but uh, the protests and in some way expressing forcefully the desire for change. Yeah, as you and Bo were talking, Ono, I was thinking about the scriptural resources that are there. And I think running from Frederick Douglass to especially Martin Luther King Jr., you see how uh, Black Christians have harnessed the prophetic outlook of the Bible to address some of these concerns. So with like, um, what to the slave is your 4th of July, I see Douglas doing kind of a um, like the prophet Isaiah. He's saying like your celebrations are vacuous um, mm-hmm. and, and hollow because you say one thing and do another. Um, I, I've thought about this in the classroom as well. Like when we talk about scripture, obviously like the prophets are one resource. Do you think um, we can utilize the new Testament in a similar way? And what I, what I have in mind is uh, sometimes I fear that we've reduced salvation and justification just to sort of like, well, now my soul is right with God. What you see in the New Testament is that uh, God is, uh, you know, Jesus uses the language of kingdom or, or God's reigning, you know, all throughout the Gospels. And part of what God a- achieves uh, in the new covenant is breaking down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles. And so the early Christians were sometimes called a third race. They were neither Jew nor Gentile. But it was, you know, table fellowship among those who had previously been divided. Do you think that could be applied or carried over to some of these discussions that we're having, or is that, you know, somewhat of a of a stretch there? No, absolutely. Uh, I every now and then I I think of Galatians when Paul says, "In Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female," and I always think of why Paul was saying that. And we have to think back in his time, that was extremely radical. And this was one reason, as I say, Christianity in the early, in the first century, second century, was seen very differently. It was And it also it attracted a lot of people in the lower classes, the slaves, the people, the poor, and a lot of women, because they understood that in Christ, we were all equal. And you had to see, you had to call the person next to you, your brother, your sister. In fact, when they were celebrating Eucharist, we saw that in First Corinthians and there was there were divisions where the wealthy were going off and eating their meal and celebrating their Eucharist separately from the poor. Paul chastised them and had major problems with that because that went against the Christian spirit. So the New Testament has is full of resources, and especially it, as John Paul II has reminded us, it, the New Testament actually makes us realize that we should have that preferential option for the poor. And what that means, just broadly speaking, is that we should always be aware and open to those who are disadvantaged by the structures in society. So in some places, it's manifested by poverty. In some other places, it's manifested in terms of race. But whatever it is, we need to be aware of what the structures are in society and who is affected negatively by them and try to identify with that group and understand what we can in terms of social justice and seeing people in that group as our sisters and our brothers and act accordingly. 
Yeah. Oh no. I think another way to like head off another avenue that this might get misconstrued is so people go, okay, well, Paul says there's neither slave nor free Jew nor Greek. So why are we talking about race at all? But it's important to point right that Paul is also in very many places speaking against a sort of Gnosticism that would act like our bodies and where we're from don't matter. And I see that opposite instance happen as well, right? So on one hand, how we go fall into vice is to act like where we're from, the color of our skin, you know, who we are in the sort of bodily realm is all there is, right? And it's predeterminate. And what we're going to be is like where you're from, what skin color you are, et cetera. But then the opposite sort of vice is to say, well, none of it matters because there's this sort of higher order and we don't have to think about things of the earth. But of course, Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and he died as a Jew being killed by Roman soldiers. And throughout Christian history, we start to see that, right? That there's, because of the incarnation, our embodiment matters, but it's not divisive or determinant. That God came to meet us in the flesh, and we must meet our brothers and sisters in the flesh. We are different. Some of us come from different places. Some of us have different races. Some of us are different classes. Until we're honest about that, we can't then do the higher reconciliation in Christ that Paul speaks of. And we be, have to be able to hold those things together. Now, I yammered on, oh no, and we have like a minute before the break, but I didn't know if you, there was anything with that. I wanted to uh, give you like, the chance to like say anything about that, and then we'll go to the break and continue uh, this really great conversation. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're 100% right. And Paul was in no way diminishing our you know, flesh and who we are as people, as individuals. Um, Paul was really attacking the idea of a social order that said, if you happen to be a slave, you were less than, say, you know, someone else who was a citizen. And the point was that in Christ, in Christ, with all our differences, and Paul always recognized those differences, we are all equal because we're one in Christ. We're of the same body in Christ. But of course, that does not diminish the fact that we are manifest in our separate cultural forms and demographics. So different races, different talents, uh, different abilities, et cetera. Right. I think it's uh, important to think that at Pentecost, um, the Holy Spirit didn't make everyone speak one language. Everybody heard the disciples in their own tongue. And that's how the unity of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ works. On that note, I'm going to have to though, uh, jump off. And so it's uh, this is the uncommon good. Uh, like we're speaking about uh, racial justice and it's a connection with the uh, common good. Uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Ono, aka, and we'll be back right after this. Folks, if you want to be a part of the conversation with the Uncommon Good and Iowa Catholic Radio, it is easy to do so. Just follow us through our various social media. You can do that by going to Facebook and uh, finding Iowa Catholic Radio. Friend us, and you can follow all the posts that we post. You can go to Twitter and uh, find at IA uh, Catholic Radio, uh, and that way you can follow our tweets. You can also go to iowacatholicradio.com. There you can listen live to anywhere that you have an internet connection. You can make donations. You can see what we're up to, and you can sign up for various emails to keep abreast of what we are up to at Iowa Catholic Radio. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. 
Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. The American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property has launched a Rosary Crusade to restore America to order. The Rosary Crusade travels with statues of Our Lady of Fatima throughout the country with plans to hold a Rosary rally in Iowa and other states throughout the summer, asking her Immaculate Heart to triumph in America and asking her to cover the country with her blessings. Learn more about the Rosary Caravans at TFP.org and search for the Rosary Campaign to Restore America. Thanks to Blessman International for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Every year, Blessman International leads teams of Central Iowans to share the compassionate heart of Christ with orphans and vulnerable children in South Africa. You can learn more and sign up for a trip at blessmaninternational.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid is provided by Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction. Learn more at dreamdirt.com, including their online auction house, FarmBid, at bid.dreamdirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services, farm auctions done right. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Gusty wind, sunshine, and hot temperatures this afternoon will be in the upper 80s. Wind gusting to 25 miles an hour. Overnight, clear, breezy in upper 60s, 90, and sunny tomorrow. Weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation with seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you on this beautiful Wednesday. We're glad to have you on the show. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Ono A.K., who is Associate Professor and Co-Leader of Honors LLC at Sacred Heart University. Ono, again, thank you for joining us on the show. Great to be here. So one of the things that we ended the first segment of the show was talking about how St. Paul, like Christianity constantly does, finds the virtue between two vices, right? The mean between two extremes, which is to say, due to the incarnation, we don't slough off or disregard uh, the physical embodiment that people have, that we come from different cultures, different races, uh, that male and female, he created him, things like this. But on the other hand, we don't fall into what was very prone in the ancient world and has cursed humanity throughout time, which is to overdetermine and act like the world is predetermined by those differences. Uh, Jesus Christ, by including us into his body, overcomes the world, uh, but does not uh, destroy the, the flesh. And this pertains to our topic today when we're talking about racial justice and its relationship to the common good, because there's a way in which we can fall um, viciously on one side or the other trying to think about what we mean when the Catholic Church demands us and says, uh, you know, we have several bishops who said this to the magisterium. Uh, uh, Pope Francis just talked about this last week, that we have a duty to think about racial justice and the delirious effects of racism on society, and particularly the church, and that it's the job of the church to be honest about uh, its own complicity uh, towards uh, racial injustice throughout um, time. And 
you know, we, we can either mishandle or, or misappropriate looking at these things by going one way or the other. On one hand, um, we can be sort of uh, collectivist about these things and um, misunderstand uh, racism as like merely sociology and, and not be able to understand what the church uniquely brings. Uh, it's a different perspective about how to talk about this. But on the other hand, and I have to say that this is something that I've seen for quite a lot of people, is when we hear racism, we think about it in very individualistic terms. We go, well, I myself am not racist, so why is this a problem? And the, the idea starts to be, it seems to me, that this is reflective of a much larger moral difficulty, um, that when people look at things like sin and virtue, we think of moral action strictly in individual terms. Am I being a good person? Am I not? Do I have good intentions? Do I have bad intentions? And if I have good intentions and I act correctly, then what can really be the problem? But the thing with the common good that it teaches us is that the highest individual goods are actually not ones that we have by ourselves. The highest individual goods are common goods, which means that they're not collective, but it means that they're the best thing for the individual but they can only be had if they are shared. And so communion in a church, unity, but justice, some of the highest goods that we have can only be had if they are shared. And so when you have one aspect of the church, one group in a society that doesn't share in that good, unity, community, justice, it is actually injurious to everyone. And so that's why even if you yourself, me, whoever you might be, are not personally racist and have, have racist attitudes, and of course, this is also we should always ask, we say that about ourselves, but is that true? Even if you, it was the case that you weren't, if you're not formally a racist, to use uh, Catholic moral teaching terms, the fact of material racism can still exist. And, and oh no, I think sometimes for people, that is a hard leap to make. Part of it is psychological, like we talked about at the front of the show. No one wants to say, well, I'm a racist or I participate in racism. But, oh, no, don't you think that part of the problem is our understanding of morality and society in general, that because we have a sort of individualistic impulse, it's hard for us to see why, even if I'm not personally racist, that I still have to, to deal with racism in a social way. Yes. So I, I think very often we think of racism in terms of individual kinds of acts. So we might think of extremes, maybe the Klan or a white supremacist group or using certain words. But there's a way to think of racism, which I think may be um, more apt, which is that it's baked into the system. So as long as anyone's part of the system, in some way you've, you've absorbed certain attitudes, certain frames of reference that include ways that sometimes diminish other people. So I, I think on, what, on the one hand, um, you know, one can say I'm not racist as in I don't use certain words. I don't explicitly think certain ways, but we, we all have, we, we need the humility to acknowledge that we can all be better and that we're all sometimes poisoned by the same well. Um, so this, it's not just, Racism, it's in other aspects of life, too. We're all affected by the culture in ways that we don't often recognize. And I think with your point, as far as the common good, I think it's a, it's a great point. And one thing is that we all have to learn to take responsibility 
for the common good. That's a key thing to take responsibility for society for the whole. And if anyone is being harmed by, you know, by the system, even if we don't feel we're individually responsible for that, in some way we still need to take responsibility for it. So, for instance, I, I think I like to think in terms of um, here's a crazy example I use sometimes. Let's say I push someone. I'm walking in a hotel and someone's standing at the top of the staircase and I hit them or bump into them and they go falling down the steps and break their neck and die. So kind of gruesome. Um, but so in, in that case, you know, have I done something wrong? I think most people would say yes. Now, if I told you, well, I actually I was sleepwalking and I didn't realize what I was doing. So I take a medication, I sleepwalk and I hit this person. And then you might say, well, yeah, that sort of mitigates it because I didn't do it with intent. But at the end of the day, some harm was done. And it doesn't matter if I did it with intent or not. It's there was a harm done. Someone lost their life. And even if I'm not responsible in the way someone who had intent is, um, I'm still responsible in a way uh, to try to do something to atone for that. The fact that another human being has been harmed, is dead, you know, because of my action. So I think uh, there's using the, the Catholic distinctions of formal and material where we say, you know, formal racism is when you have racism with intent and material might be where you so passively participate in it. Those are useful distinctions sometimes when you're doing your own introspection. On the other hand, we still all have to take responsibility for the fruits of the system and, and work to change them together. Well, and I think, oh no, like even in that, uh, the, 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 the gruesome example. And when you teach ethics, everyone who's listening on the radio, you have to use gruesome examples. Otherwise students don't listen. So <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the example. And I think one other way to add this, right. Is so let's say you're at the bottom of the stairs and you did, you weren't the one who either meant to push the person off or the sleepwalker who did it. The question is, is when this person ends up at the bottom of the stairs hurt because you didn't push them, are you going to go, well, that's not on me. Of course, you're going to you're going to help this person. So, like, even if we, like, keep thinking of ways to make you further from the intent of harm, what decent human doesn't believe that they're part of society enough to say, I'm going to help that person who fell. And I think that in social issues, but race is one of them, certainly, that sometimes we forget exactly that. Exactly. Yes. And I. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking of the parable of the Good Samaritan, which, again, in Jesus's time was absolutely radical, because if you had told a story about the Jew who was harmed, who was hurt in an isolated spot in the desert, and a Samaritan came along, I think the people at the time would have expected something bad to happen. But this was someone who owned the problem. He took this person, he took him on his own donkey, he took him to an inn, he paid money and treated him as though he was responsible for that person's fate. And he said, I'll come back and pay. And so that's a great point. It, in, even in the case, if you say, I am not the person responsible for the harm that's caused, as a Christian, we, we, you know, Jesus calls us to own these problems and treat them as though we are responsible. This way we act in love. We act as though... Um, which in fact is the case that we're all brothers and sisters. We're all part of the same human family. And we treat everyone with the respect that they deserve. 
Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, at, at the risk of making some listeners uncomfortable, and I, I guess I'll just preface by saying, you know, these are complex issues and I don't have ready-made answers. But when you and Bo were talking about structural issues, you know, for myself, uh, I've recently been learning a bit about incarceration in the United States. And I know growing up, I just had this mindset that like, this is really obvious, you know, someone does something wrong. And then, you know, like the legal system takes, yeah, like it goes, it runs its process. Um, but there's some jarring, you know, sort of facts, like America makes up 4% of the world's population, but over 20% of its incarcerated individuals. Yeah. And, you know, looking at these things, um, I, I've just been surprised to learn, you know, that the high percentage of cases that go to a plea bargain so that there's, you know, like uh, persons are not given their time in court. Um, and, and in recent years, like some of the modifications that have been made by members of both political parties about how uh, strict the justice system is, um, you know, I'm throwing a lot out there, but like disparities between sentencing for crack versus sentencing for cocaine. Mm-hmm. And um, I get, I guess to tie this together, Bo and I had an ethics professor at Duke, and he would talk about the failure of the success of the civil rights movement. And what he meant was after MLK and after some of the games with the civil rights act and things, we sort of took a deep breath and said like, you know, like we've, we've sort of got it taken care of. But there are still some persistent issues. And I don't know, like, how that how does that quote strike you? And would you point to other structural, you know, matters that we should be thinking about? No, I, I think you're right. The criminal justice system is evidence that something is very wrong, right? The percentage of African-American men in, in prison, um, the disparities in sentencing, um, you know, and this is based on the way you classify certain things like crack versus cocaine. And so there are a number of things, but also with the COVID crisis, I think what came became clear was there were very big disparities in the public health status of black and brown communities versus white communities. And yes, there's an inter- intersection of race and class or slash poverty. So there's some things that can be solved by addressing the issue of poverty. But there's some things that seem to be unique to the issue of race in this country. And so I, I think, I mean, that point is, is exactly right. The criminal justice system, the public health, the healthcare system, uh, things like food issues. So you have many communities that um, have problems, have food deserts. That means you have to go, there's in, in the community, there aren't places where you can get fresh, you know, foods, fresh food, uh, vegetables. You have to go miles. You have to take public transportation to go shopping if you're going to get anything good. And sometimes it's not that these these communities are poor either. It's more that they are occupied by, you know, middle-class Black people. And then you have these prejudicial type of concerns about people setting up, you know, grocery store in, in the area. So there are a lot of issues. And I think the COVID crisis also sort of exposed some of that, that there are disparities that can be tied to both poverty, but also to issues of race. And oh no, I think that that you know we're we're getting towards the end of the show here, and you know obviously this is a topic that could not be circumvented or completely and thoroughly spoken of in you know an hour long show, much less um, an entire class. Uh, you know, many things to say about this, but to sort of really point back about how 
it's imperative to think of racial justice not simply as terms of like mere sociology or like in the news, but that this is a pressing question precisely because of what Catholics believe about the common good, Catholic social teaching about justice, that, you know, when we start to talk about why groups might be um, uh, angry or, or why this, this is a pressing issue that someone wants to always bring up. um, Of course, anger itself is not, sin wrath is right so like if you you know take anger um and and and, and use it incorrectly um indeed you know i'm uh, parroting uh, an article that we read by uh, someone else but like the idea is you know thomas goes actually a deficiency of anger uh, can actually be a sin if something doesn't rile you up enough to try to do something about it but what i want to like really hopefully end on and and hear from you like one last time before we have to to let you go is not the question of like, why are people angry? Shouldn't people be nice about it? There, there starts to be long conversations about etiquette that I think miss the mark. The question starts to be when we're looking as a church at people within our church that are, for instance, leaving the church, uh, historical black communities in places like Louisiana or Chicago, and those numbers are dwindling because they as a community don't feel we as a church have been honest or have refused to address this issue because it's difficult or that like it's in our benefit as uh, white Christians to not worry about it. You know, what, what's the, we, we talked about like what you would do in, in class or when you, when you, when you've been asked to speak about this, but what's the way to close up saying that this is precisely because we're Catholic that we have to talk about this issue. This is not the Catholic Church speaking about an issue because it's, you know, popular on the news. This is part and parcel of who we are as the body of Christ in a community of faith. And if there's anything that we can leave off the show, hearing from you on that, I think that that would be a good way to wrap up our conversation today. Yes, so that, that's a good point. I think, first of all, I think we need to reflect on the word Catholic, which means universal. And that's who we are as a church. And so if you think, if you reflect on your experience as Catholic and it's not universal, then you have to realize it's deficient. There's something missing. And so I recall there's there's a time, this was years ago, um, I was looking for a job and someone was going to recommend or was, was going to offer me a job at, or actually they'd offer me a job at a parish. And the parish was majority white. And he, he said to me that, well, it, you know, it might be difficult for some people in that parish and because you're black, but he said, they're nice people. And maybe this would be a way for them to learn, you know, to accept, you know, different people. And so on the one hand, I was thinking, well, that's true. I mean, we all need those people who to, you know, reach out and help people see what other people are like. So I could be that one person. On the other hand, it just made me think, because I felt in that instant that my existence as a Catholic or a person was to educate white people, right? And that didn't sit well with me at that time. So I I didn't take that job, and but not for, for other reasons. And I've had this experience also with some of my students who, um, you know, black and brown students who've come to me and 
had issues in school and we've gone to an administrator and the response has been, well, maybe this would be a great way for those two white students to learn how to, you know, deal with someone who is not of their culture. So again, you have the sense in which, um, you know, they exist, the black student or the brown student exist to help educate the white student. So what I'm getting at is this idea of what, what our default, what's normative and what the default is, right? If you have a sense of Catholic in which the default is whatever you're used to, and it is very homogenous, it's maybe very white, um, then you should do some reflecting and think of, is this what Christ intended as the Catholic church, right? The Catholic church has to be by default universal. And in what way am I, am I experiencing that the universality of the church? Universal doesn't mean there's a default that has to apply to everyone. It means that it is universal. So we're all with all our different cultures, all our different ways of being a part of this. And, so I, I think it comes to reflecting on who we are as church, as, as Catholic. And, and then we can start the, this is a process of growing. It's a journey. And so once I think when there's that humility of recognizing that you don't have all the answers and yes, you may not be seeing the world the way it really is and understanding that we are a Catholic church and that means we should be universal. And so your own experience, your own culture is not the default or the overarching, but you're part of this really vibrant um, palette, so to speak, with all these different cultures, then I think that starts a journey of self-reflection and we can slowly begin to, to reframe, you know, what it is to be church. Bo, did we, did we lose Bo maybe? Oh, sorry. There. Oh no. <laughs> I want to, I want to say thank you for uh, coming on the show. We appreciate it so much. And uh, uh, there's, there's so much more we could talk about. Um, and, uh, but thank you for coming on the show and I look forward, uh, to getting to see you again in person. So, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. It was great. Thank you both for having me. And yeah, hopefully we can meet in Pittsburgh and have one of those three river sandwiches. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gates. Floodgate, floodgate sandwiches. Floodgate sandwiches. I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> hey, the door, so, uh, the door's always open. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Dr. Ono, a.k.a. Associate Professor, co-leader of the Honors LLC at Sacred Heart University. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Ono. Fo- folks, this is the Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts and our families, our city, our state, our uh, country very much right now. The entire world, the solar system, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. <laughs> But please tell the good folks listening how they can be a part of Iowa Catholic Radio and its prayer life. Yeah, I'd encourage you all to uh, use the radio station as a way to structure your prayer life. We pray the rosary daily on air at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. We also pray the Angelus together at 6 in the morning, and you can access those prayer opportunities using the Iowa Catholic Radio app as well. And folks, if you want to keep up with what Iowa Catholic Radio is doing, it's easy to do so by going to iowacatholicradio.com and joining. uh, You can sign up to receive emails about what's happening in the diocese. You can listen online live. You can also donate there. And especially in this time of COVID, um, it's really imperative that we ask uh, that you help uh, the the different, uh, not only nonprofits, but the ministries uh, that we uh, are, are, we're able to really, point out and, and, and reach out 
during this time. I know that, uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, that summer is coming along and things are beginning to open up and changing. Um, but I'm hoping that we've come through this together um, as a community, a Catholic community in Iowa and Oklahoma and Pittsburgh and the different places people listen uh, and, and understand the sort of precious nature of uh, our ministries and that like it's difficult to keep them going, especially in a nationwide crisis. And so if in your, if your heart is moved to donate, uh, please do so. IowaCatholicRadio.com, uh, the Iowa Catholic Radio app, or you can call 515-223-1150. Talk to people there and we can keep this wonderful ministry going. Bud, great to talk to you, man. I uh, Like I said, I hope that the warm weather is boding well and that uh, you and your family uh, are getting to enjoy the outdoors. All right, Bo. Thanks. Have a great week, buddy. God bless everyone. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.